This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Got another great show today, and so tune in, please. Uh, make sure to uh, check out the great interviews we have coming up. And especially, let me say, I'm interested and excited to talk with Al Regnery. Al Regnery is the founder of Republic Book Publishing. He also himself wrote a book. Very interesting. We'll talk to him about what Facebook is doing to block the book Old Abe. I think it's Facebook. Hey, we'll talk with Al Regner in a few minutes. Yes, Facebook that's doing that. And um, also we'll talk with Michael Volpe, very top, very timely to talk about Andrew Cuomo and the COVID crisis. So we'll get all that covered and a lot more and a lot more. All right. Um, well, I, I, I am loath to talk about mass shooting events because uh, they are so um, terrible and tragic but they are also almost inevitably used for politics, you know, for political gain. And so I don't like to engage in it. I certainly don't like to highlight uh, the names or any of the pe- people that do these things because it seems like that's what the there's the copycat notion that people want attention. So I don't want to do that. However, I, the situation in Colorado, we need to talk about it because I want to bring you back to the narrative machine. And, and I want to highlight how the narrative machine, I, I call the, I, I, I call, I describe what I see happening using this, um, sort of, I guess it's a metaphor, the narrative machine. So the narrative machine, as I describe it, is big tech and big media working together with big government, which is the left to try to foster a narrative that goes to their advantage. So big tech, they need hysteria and excitement because they want people to click on it and, and find they want, used to be, you'd call it tabloid journalism, but now it's because of the science, it's really, uh, it's the science of dopamine journalism. You know, it's, uh, it's the, it's the click. You need the clicks and the likes and the, and, and whatever it is, it has to be hot so that people respond. And I don't mean good looking. I mean, or I don't mean racy. I mean, Whatever, and they've trained themselves. They've they've used the technology that they have at the big tech companies to figure out exactly what it is that gets them what they want, and so that's big tech, big media, very similar. And they're but they're not using neuroscience quite the same way. But they're using the they're they're talking to their choir. They're they're fake newsing to their choir, and so CNN, MSNBC, all those on the left are talking to their brainwash. They're brainwashing. So is Fox News. If you're not careful. And then big government uses the power of government to direct people and to uh, investigate in the direction of the narrative. So the best example, of course, the most recent example for you all is the narrative machine and the way big tech, big media and the big government have tried to frame the January 6th events as something more than vandalism by protesters. They do it not even just a riot. It's an insurrection, seditious insurrection, murderous armed insurrection, almost all of it is fake news and it's big tech spinning and it's big government investigating, you know, over and over again, anybody who was in the Capitol, whether they walked in being sort of waved in by the police or not, they're, they're going chasing us and they're saying things like, oh, it's just a terrible, scary time. It's a scary time. Now, what happened in Colorado is as soon as the shooter happened and the tragedy happened, you saw on social media, the response was, ah, oh, and, and the language, by the way, in the last couple of days has been a surge in mass shootings, a surge in mass shootings. They, they take the Atlanta incident from last week, I guess it was. But in Colorado, very quickly, they said, here it is, another white male, another white male. 
And then within a couple of hours, 10 people lost their lives, by the way. It's a tragedy. And within a couple of hours, less than that maybe, they identified it as a male and they wouldn't identify his ethnicity. And now we know that the man is a Syrian-born Muslim who was sort of a jihadist. And I guess now the media is going to try to say he just was mentally deranged, but they usually don't get away with that. With the you know, if you're a white guy, they just say you're a bitter white guy and you're you know you shouldn't have a gun. But now they're going to I think they're going to say. But my point here is the narrative machine was all ramped up. It was all ramped up. Everything about it, <clears throat> excuse me, pardon me, was was that it was ramped up. What were the pieces? Well. Social media and big tech was in overdrive. You know, oh, this is another, you see Twitter, oh, it's another white male, all these um, people tweeting about it. And then ramped up right behind them, big media, oh my gosh, look at this, a surge in mass shootings. And big government, Joe Biden was ready, and I think he did address the nation or address when he arrived somewhere, he talked about it. But he had to get briefed, and he was briefed, that this was a jihadist. So now you say to yourself, if this guy was a jihadist, if he had these tendencies, should should the FBI have been tracking somebody like this? Does it seem more likely that the the jihadists who actually kill should be tracked ahead of, say, uh, the Proud Boys that I don't know, other than fighting each other and sort of Antifa, there's, I don't think there's known terrorist attacks by Proud Boys. I don't know. It could be. I guess I might have missed it. If I, I would have thought that the media would have shoved it in our faces if it was true. But my point here is the narrative machine was ready to go into overdrive. And the overdrive was going to be another white male and ah, hysteria, hysteria, hysteria on social media, on big tech, on on the uh, the brainwashed, you know, the brainwashing of the big media. And here comes government, big government swooping in and saying, our solution is to ban guns. Our solution is to change the laws and limit gun possession. Here's our solution. Don't. And now it's all gone. It's all gone. It, it, it's just disappeared overnight. In fact, you, you, they, 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 somewhere the, the left that was thinking, oh, look at this. We got a great opportunity. They said they saw that this guy was a Muslim from Syria, an immigrant. I don't know if there's any evidence that he's a legal immigrant. I don't think there's I haven't seen that evidence yet. It could be there. But now they're saying uh, this isn't as good. A, this is not as good an option for us. Uh, we may not want to lean into this one because, yeah, it doesn't look quite as clean in terms of what we were expecting and being able to talk about. Now, again, what you have to wonder, what you should wonder, not you have to, what you should wonder, what I wonder, is how many times does the narrative machine go into overdrive before we have any chance to even realize that it happens? Because they're so good at it now, they're so sophisticated, they're so powerful, and their messaging is so persuasive, that's true, but pervasive is what I was going to say. It's everywhere. So once you frame the narrative, once the narrative gets like the railroad tracks of the narrative get laid down, usually you don't get to pull them up. Usually you don't get to change the dynamic. It's very unlikely. In this case, it was because they bet he'd be a white male. And when he wasn't, they said, oh, well, we'll just move on. And they moved on. And that's the question. You know, one of the examples, by the way, the great hoaxes of the Trump era was the um the uh, drinking bleach hoax where they said uh, President Trump said put disinfectant uh, down your throat. There's now a company that's marketing for COVID and other diseases the use of light technologies, which is exactly what Trump was talking about. He was he was talking about being briefed about light technologies. I actually was in Dallas, Texas 10 days ago, and I used 
a, a service that a friend of mine owns an interest in the company <clears throat> where you put under your tongue a um like a flashlight on a on a on a almost like it's like an insert an insert inserted in your mouth under your tongue is a certain beams of light and there's evidence and, and so i think it's in uh, clinical trials that it reduces your um inflammation in a certain number of patients and my point here is that's what trump was talking about but the media big media big tech laid down a narrative he's talking about disinfecting drinking bleach they said and the guy never said drinking bleach it's insane and it's insane one thing about some of these um great hoaxes that the narrative machine pumps out is they sh- they're so comical i mean they're so stupid they're so outrageous they should be comical but they're not and again, if you're big media and you're talking to the brainwashed, you know, the, 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 the audience that's brainwashed, they don't care if it's co- a comical. They don't think if it's insane to say it out loud. They just jam on it and figure, all right, we'll believe it. That's the power of the narrative machine. And they almost got it done on the terrible Colorado tragedy. They almost got it framed up until they realized it was an Islamic uh, extremist who had some serious, serious issues. He hated Trump. That's another thing they'd expected. They didn't know, you know what to do. They wanted it to be a Trump supporter who was going to be some outlandish guy. And instead, they got exactly what the truth was. And because it was the truth and it couldn't be it couldn't be swallowed up by the narrative machine, they had to move on to something else. That's what happened. Extraordinary. Extraordinary to see it happen in real time. All right. We got to go. We're going to come back. We'll talk with Al Regnery. And after Al Regnery, we'll spend some time. Uh, he's on our show before. Uh, Michael Volpe. We'll talk about Andrew Cuomo. Be right back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And our next guest is a friend of mine, Al Regnery, who is um, himself the publisher, founder and publisher of Republic Book Publishers. And he is um, a long, um, long time conservative, been involved in a gazillion ways and knows everybody in the movement and is uh, as a long time publisher. Also, we'll talk about that in a minute. But first, I want to say he also is an author and the book he gave it to me um, a few months ago. It's called Unlikely Pilgrim, A Journey into History and Faith. And so the first thing I want to ask, Al, is what's it like after being a publisher? And I mean, I know you've written in the past, your whole life you've been a writer, but this is a book that's kind of like um, compiled over a series of years, these pilgrimages to different places in the world. Tell me a little bit about that book and how it came about. Well, I did these trips uh, with a friend of mine, a British friend who was actually a PhD in theology from Oxford and an ordained Anglican priest, a great friend. And we took a trip, um, first of all, to Mount Athos in Greece, where there are a couple of dozen Orthodox monasteries, and it was inspiring. And we then walked the Camino de Santiago in Spain, and then we did another trip to um, France, a bicycle trip to the cathedrals and the uh, monasteries and so on. We kept doing these, and I always took, always kept a diary, um, and I would always talk to lots of people along the way, and to just get a sense of what these places were like and what they were, mm-hmm. what they were thinking about. And um, so, I guess after we did eleven of them all together, after about halfway through, I thought, you know, this really would make a pretty interesting book. For one thing. Um, they, they, these were very interesting places that we went to when we, as I said, always talked to lots of people. And I found when I was around Washington, um, 
at a dinner or cocktail party, invariably one of these trips would come up. And people are always fascinated with, we went to places like mm. Syria and Bulgaria and Romania and, you know, not off the beaten path. And so I guess I just decided it would be um, fun to write it all up. And I just sat down and it took me a couple of years to write it in the evening and whatnot to recount these trips. And of course, when you're doing something like that, you do a good deal of historical research as well. Um, I've been in these places, but then I went back and read about them and found something else and incorporated that into the book. And, um, yeah, I think it, it made, frankly, a fairly interesting read. Well, you read it. What did you think? Was it, was it worthwhile? Yeah, I, I, know, I, I was, I was going to say the same thing. And I, it, it, it was interesting, as you said. It, it made me want to travel. I mean, that's probably the best idea, you know, and especially it was framed as a pilgrimage. So in there, you're, you're talking and writing about your faith and your relationships and all. And so it, it made me think a lot about it. And I, you know, you and I talked about off the air, off the air that uh, mm-hmm. pilgrimage right. used to be such a pilgrimage was such a um, for in, in other in, in other probably like Americans going on vacation. But in other eras, you know, pilgrimage was what people did. They did it when they sinned. They did it when they were sick. They did it when they were successful. And it's, so it's kind of it was it, it made me want to travel in a different way than just going to visit, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, Mount Rushmore. So I think it was exactly, effective yeah. in that way, which was. Yeah. Well, another so, dimension right, sl- was that. Go ahead. Okay, sorry, just one other dimension. No, no, keep, no. we never drove. Yeah, we, we walked, we bicycled, we uh, sometimes we hitchhiked. I mean, it was really rudimentary travel, and it was they were many of them were very strenuous. I mean, we covered a lot of ground on foot and bicycles and so on. So that that was a another big part of it. Um, we uh, we're talking again with Al Regnery, and he's the founder of Republic Book Publishers. And um, the book I want to ask you about, and I've talked on the show. I've had John Cribb on the show at least three times. I've talked about the book. I love the book, Old Abe. And I alluded to this controversy, but you're the publisher, so you got to worry about this. Tell me what Facebook did to Old Abe, and walk me through what exactly happened, and what's happened since, and what the story is. Sure. Um, Old Abe is a novel about Abraham Lincoln about the last um, years of his life. Starts with the um, with his election in 1861, 1860, and then goes to the Civil War, and finally goes to his um, to the assassination. So it's a non-controversial book. It's 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 um, historical fiction, um, and it's very accurate, as a matter of fact. And we've had that wonderful success with it. Lots of people have given a rave review. So about Christmas time, we decided to run some ads on Facebook. And Facebook said, no, mm-hmm. you can't do that. Too controversial. And they said, come on, Abraham Lincoln? This is not controversy. Um, we went back <laughs> to them four different times, and they said, no, it does not meet. Our, we have standards on political ads, and we won't run it. Now, uh, one of the things that we think may have um, elicited this was that we had a quote from the vice president, from Mike Pence, who said, the greatest book on Abraham Lincoln I've ever read, and we used that in the ads, and um, for whatever reason, Mm. Facebook said no. So, um, you know, and we, we advertised the book in other places, but what's troublesome is that an operation like Facebook, which obviously reaches lots of people, it's something that that you use to advertise um, has decided that it's going to judge what ads it runs. Now, I certainly you can you can understand if it's obscene or anything like that. They'll do that, but right. an Abraham Lincoln historical novel about Abraham Lincoln, come on, you know it doesn't make any sense at all. So, I guess if they can do that, um, as somebody that publishes books that often are not. Um, probably approved by Mark Zuckerberg um, <laughs> or other people. You right. wonder, you, you, what what else are they going to do, or what are they going to do to anybody else? If they again, if they if they ban an ad on a book by Abraham Lincoln, they can ban ban any ad in the world. 
Do you think, Al, and, and, and again, you're only reading tea leaves because I don't, I don't think you got an answer from Facebook. Do you think, you know, no, CNN no, 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 is doing no, 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 a big... Yeah, the CNN is doing a big expose on um, on uh, Abraham Lincoln. They're, they're I'm, I'm not. They're literally in my. I would say they're literally laying the groundwork, but in terms of literally putting the words out to cancel Abe Lincoln, and and because Lincoln is sort of the um, the shorthand for every Republican to say, well, you, you know, if you're going to call us all white supremacists and racists, we we love Lincoln. He was a guy that you know had a, had this stood up against all the racists. I mean, so I, do you get a sense now? Again, you, we're talking with Al Regner. He's a longtime publisher, longtime conservative leader, and now founder of Republic Book Publishing uh, Publishers. Um, do you think this is uh, targeting Abe, or do you think it was? Are you less? Uh, is it? Am I seeing well, conspiracies where there's? Ju- I'm sure it's targeting Abe. I mean, they've, they've taken his name off of some schools and other things. And if you go back and look at him, when you know in the 1830s. Um, he said some derogatory things about blacks in debates. Um, you know, he one of the, the the criticisms is that he didn't go far enough in the Emancipation Proclamation because he only freed slaves in the North, not in the South. He could have done more. And in fact, when he signed, that's in the book, in the old age book, when he signed the, the proclamation, he said, you know, um, this is probably a, the, the most daring thing I've ever done. And he said, if I, if I go into the history books, it will be because of this. Um, so, I mean, he realized it was a big thing. But it, it's, again, it's this question of judging people by, in yesterday's world, by today's standards. And um, sure, I mean, there, there were the things were different in the 1830s, 1840s. People spoke differently. There were a lot of people did have slaves in the North and the South. And, um, you know, if you think you think about it, if this goes to the extreme, what will they be saying about CNN and about us 30 or 40 years from now? Um, it could be very derogatory. They could say, you know, who knows what they could latch on to. But if you just think back. You know, in our lifetime, what what we were talking about in the 60s and the 70s, if you judge even that by today's standards, you're going to find all sorts of things that you can criticize people about. So, you know, it's it's a I think it's a stupid the the whole exercise of this cancellation is dumb. It's what um, what totalitarians do. I mean, they rewrite history when the when when during the when the Soviet Union became um when, when Russia became the Soviet Union, what do they do? They go through and erase all the old history because they don't want people to know it. And the same thing, they've done the same thing in China. Um, any other dictator does that. And, you know, now you've got people that think that they are running the world on today's standards, that they're going to impose um, their beliefs, their standards, and everybody else, whether the rest of us like it or not. And it's just, I think it's an outrage. Well, and we're, we're talking again with Al Regnery, and uh, and and we will. <clears throat> excuse me, I'll put up on social media. His book is called uh, "Unlikely Pilgrim: A Journey into History and Faith," uh, which relates to just what you just were talking about—that you got to know your history to know what's going on. And then we're talking right now about old Abe. Before I go <clears throat> off of old Abe, do Abe Lincoln books sell well? It, it feels like they should. Do they sell well? Yes. In fact, I think there are, people say there have probably been more books written about Abraham Lincoln than any other person besides Jesus Christ. Um, yes, they do. They yeah. sell. There's, there's a, I don't know how many books a year published about Abraham Lincoln, but I would guess probably 30 or 40 major books. Um, pretty much everything's been said, of course, but the, the difference <laughs> with old age is that people say that it gives you a sense, because it's fiction, that you're walking right next to him, that you're involved in the conversation with him, uh, where he visits battlefields, he's 
on the, 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 all the problems he had with Mary Lincoln, his wife, his son dying, all those things, you really get a sense that um, the, of, of feeling that you are sitting, as I say, right next to the man and, um, and understanding what his, what his feelings were. So, yeah, yes, to answer your question, they do so well. Uh, you know, and uh, last question, Al. Re- okay, sure. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. Finish. Well, I was just going to say that that um, the whole early American um, scene pr- provides dozens of books. I mean, look at the founders. There's another book about Washington or Madison, Madison Monroe, Jefferson, yeah. um, every couple weeks, and so Abraham Lincoln is certainly in that category as well. <clears throat> We're talking with Al Regnery again. Let me make sure to know republicbookpublishers.com is where you can see all the different titles that he's publishing. He's the founder and publisher of Republic Book Publishers. Uh, also, his own book is Unlikely Pilgrim, A Journey into History and Faith. We're talking about Old Abe. This is the coup de grace, the question that I built up to because John Cribb and I are in cahoots, uh, Al. So um, I think Cribb thinks he's got another Abe Lincoln book in him. Can't we get that going? Can we get, can we, can we, can we, uh, can we, I'm in front of all our listeners. Can't Republic Book Publishers get another John Cribb uh, Abe Lincoln book going? Well, I hope so, but it's not going to happen overnight because I think he spent 10 years writing this one. So oh, really? Oh, okay. It. I don't know how much he may have a good deal of it written, or sometimes people write things in their head and then they sit down, typewriter, and you know, the computer right. and, and right. whack it out. But, well, um, he told me, he there, told me yeah, to ask you. He told me. Another, <laughs> Yes. Good. All right. Good. Well, he. he, All right. Good. Well, he told me to bother with that. So now I'll go back to him and say, start writing. Anyway, hey, thank you, Al Regnery, for the uh, Republic Book Publishers. We have a lot of. Yeah, we have a lot of great book uh, authors on from your uh, your house. So we appreciate it. And all right, everybody, we'll take a break. Yeah, please do. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Be right back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest, he was a guest a while ago. I haven't talked to him in a while. I'm glad to catch up. Michael Volpe, he's a uh, freelance journalist based up in Chicago, and he writes on a lot of different topics. And uh, the piece I'm looking at is in the Americans Conserv- theamericanconservative.com. He wrote it. The title is Cuomo has was warned his COVID group home policies would kill. And uh, so we need to talk about this. As I've told uh, folks, it seems like we're distracted from what Andrew Cuomo really did, which was either mess up royally and then lie about it or worse. I'm not sure how it could be worse, but it could be worse. And instead, we're being told, uh, let's focus on a bunch of women that say he's a pig. I mean, not not a nice man. I think that seems likely too. But one of them is like a like a mass, uh, at least negligent. So anyway, Michael Volpe, welcome to the program. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thank you for having me. So first off, who warned, excuse me, who warned Cuomo? I thought, I do think if I can be a little bit generous uh, in terms of all these leaders making dumb mistakes, including, frankly, President Trump sometimes listening to some of the experts, nobody knew what was going on. It was like a fog of war. But who warned Cuomo about this, uh, that he was making the wrong decisions? Right. I totally agree with you. It was a whistleblower and then eventually a a news station. But first of all, people should know group homes. These are homes run by the state of New York for people with mental and physical disabilities. And the policy I'm talking about, it's similar to what he did with the nursing homes, but other deaths. Oh, Uh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. The policy. Yeah. Clarify. Thank you. yeah, it was this floater policy, and what would happen is uh, they've been run really poorly, these group homes, so they're always missing employees. So 
group homes that had employees missing, they'd have a floater, meaning somebody come in from another group home. And this was continuing throughout COVID. Now, he, they received emails in March of 2020. By May of 2020, he, Cuomo, that is, is holding a press conference. And it's one of the affiliates out of Albany asks him about this policy and says, don't you think this might be a problem? And he goes, policy? What policy? And, you know, I'll, I'll make sure to look into it now. So at the latest, in May of 2020, he's known about it. Uh, and it continues to right this moment. Well, and so I'm glad. Thank you. I'm sorry, uh, Michael Volpe. I, I'll clarify that. Um, you know, the, the, the problem with this one is every state I used to work for the state of Missouri and every state, it seems to me, does a terrible job with mental health. The mental health system is just horrendous. Mm-hmm. It's like they like they don't know what to do. Um, and, you know, they really mm-hmm. don't know how to handle it. They, 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 they resist privatizing anything because they fear the loss of control. Mm-hmm. You know, at one place in Missouri, I think it was Fulton. Um, it was a um, psychiatric prison and, and they weren't allowed to restrain prisoners, uh, not prisoners, but mental mm-hmm. health um, uh, patients because they were mental health patients, not prisoners and they were violent right it was a terrible thing how, how did how did cuomo miss this and what did it mean and i guess what could he have been done and has he been called to, uh, to account on this he he has recently been called to account on it but the it's basically what he misses is if if people are moving from one and they're not required they are it's suggested and encouraged that they take tests covid tests but they're not even required to do that so he was missing how the policy was was basically spreading into these group homes, which you have like 10 to 15 people, maybe a few more, but they're all in the home together. So if one person brings it in, it's very likely all 15 will have them. And if you've got physical disabilities, you are probably more likely to struggle with COVID than the average person. Uh, it's It's been reported on by Fox News, by the Washington Examiner, by me, other places. And in fact, I, I don't remember what their names were, but there are a group of state legislators that want a formal investigation into these group homes and and the COVID policies. Uh, the other thing is he's admitted to about 600 deaths, but he's been withholding uh, Freedom of Information Act data requests. So is it mm-hmm. 600 or is it 6,000? And should we trust him? Well, <laughs> given the history, yeah. I'd say no. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing I was going to say next. Uh, we're talking with Michael Volpe, a journalist, and his piece is up at the AmericanConservative.com. I put it, I'll put it up on social media. I was going to say that um, whatever the mistakes, looks like a lot of them, what we don't know now is mm-hmm. really the truth, right? And 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 on the nursing homes, for sure, we know that he has not disclosed. At, well, more importantly, we now have evidence. I don't know if it's completely, um, uh, I don't know if the, I don't know if there'll be criminal charges, but we know there's evidence that they doctored the reports, and so they're misleading about it. Mm-hmm. Um, that similar that we, we you 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 have reason to believe the same thing in this case well i i definitely don't just have reason to believe but he is uh, one of the whistleblowers mike carey he right now is thwarting freedom of information act requests now it's not cuomo himself but cuomo runs things right. so he's asking for data he's not getting the data he shared the emails with me the frustration that you're violating the law it that may not be nearly as serious as actually fudging the data but he's not releasing data so it's still a violation of the law and this is on top of what he did with the nursing homes 
Yeah, it is. Um, now, I, I pull back a little bit. You're not just reporting on this. At this point, I, it looks like Cuomo is not going to resign no matter what. No matter what anybody says, they have, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten accusations of uh, of um, mm-hmm. at least harassment or something. Is uh, But it, it, uh, is the possibility of these stories, is this, is this, is somebody criminally li- liable here? Is it negligence? What's the, what's the, um, what's the reality behind this? I'm not, I don't know if I want to say anybody's criminally liable in the group okay. homes. The FOIA, it, it, there is a criminal charge, but it's pretty low level. However, yeah, right, right, he right. is uh, still hiding data. As far as Cuomo is concerned, I, I think the way these things go is the way it went with Nixon. He'll hold on to power. Uh, I don't think... If he knows that he's going to be convicted, I don't think he'd put himself through that, though. Like Wojewicz did, I think. So I might even be wrong about that, right. but I don't think he's going to get away with this. I, this this is just one thing that they're investigating him for. Look, he was a bad guy. He was a bully, and he made a lot of enemies. And they used to be very afraid of him, and they aren't anymore. And there's a lot of bad stuff that this guy did. And the media is looking for people who have been wronged, and there's a lot of them. And he he just looks like a boxer who's getting hit left, right, left, right, left, <laughs> right. And you know, at some point, you go down. You, we're talking with Michael Volpe, a journalist, uh, freelance journalist. His pieces are over there right now at theamericanconservative.com, the one we're talking about. And, uh, and Michael, you have a, you have an ability to write about stories, write about issues that are, that seems to me are ahead of the curve. So you're writing about this. I know there was a piece, uh, a week or two ago on this same topic, uh, maybe, uh, uh, you know, two weeks before. But before that, you wrote twice in, in January and February about the immigration problem. And I, I don't think on January 21st, when you wrote about it, and certainly 10 days later on the February, early in February, it was quite what it is now. But you wrote about it twice. Um, now you see mm-hmm. it. We see this crisis on the border. Is it what you expected? Is it worse than what you expected? What's your what's your sense of what's happening now? It's, it's about as bad as I expected, but I expected it to be worse. What I was writing about is I, I noticed early that there is this network of far-left politicians, including AOC, but not only her, uh, and it's pretty significant, along with these left-wing nonprofits and other activist groups, and they believe that they helped him win Arizona, that they definitely helped win in Georgia with the two special elections, and they want... They want an agenda, and that agenda is extremely open borders. And as I pointed out in those articles, President Obama, while he was generally left on immigration, deported more people than anyone in history, even more than Trump, even if you double Trump, even like in terms of the pace he did. And Biden's not going to be anything like that on that issue, on any of these issues. He's going to make Obama look pretty conservative on immigration, uh, and certainly Trump and everyone else. But he's going as far left as he can. Question is, will he have the votes to legalize the 11 to 30 million? Uh, most of the stuff that he can do is damage that can be uh, fixed. That can't be fixed. And I don't know if he'll have those votes. But the crisis down on the border, it's 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 you, you, you it's about what you expected. I mean, it's pretty horrendous, right? I mean, yes. but it's it's in the direction yeah. what you thought. 
Yeah, yes, because I, I wrote, I saw a series of hearings in 2019, and they laid out the problem. And within a month, Trump had fixed something called the Floors Agreement, but more importantly, that MPP with the Save Third Country, Third Countries. And so that what that did was that that basically that settled the border. And if, if you reverse that, which is exactly what Biden did, and it's the first thing Biden did, you're going to create the same crisis we had in 2019, only even worse. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely, because he was fixing, unfixing the, the fixes that had made the border reasonably safe. Uh, people didn't talk about it, but what Trump did on the border is pretty remarkable. He got it so that it was about as orderly as you're going to get. Besides Ike, I don't think there's ever been a more tough on immig- illegal immigration uh, president than Ike. You can look up Ike. Uh, he was very tough. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But that's, that's hmm. it, and it was very transformative. So, yeah, you take away the things that Trump did, but look, in some ways it's Trump's fault because the MPP and all those other things, that's a treaty, and the only way you ratify a treaty is if you get two-thirds of the Senate, and you didn't get two-thirds of the Senate, so you that that's right. what allows Biden to come in and, and reverse it. So, um, right. you know, you got to finish the job. They, they, they wrote those uh, because the founders wanted uh, for things like that to have bipartisan approval and you couldn't get there. So that you, you allow the next president to reverse yourself. Yeah, well, that's a. It's interesting how um, when we're talking with Michael Volpe, you're writing ahead of uh, the writing on issues ahead of where the current events go, which is uh, one of the traits mm-hmm. that the late Phyllis Schlafly used to talk about, being able to see ahead what was going to be an issue. So, thanks, Michael. Uh, don't be a stranger. We'll have you back on, Michael Volpe. His piece is over at uh, the New American, uh, excuse me, the American Conservative dot com. I'll put it up on social media. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here in a Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The globalists on the left have long treated climate change as a global problem requiring a global solution. From the Kyoto Protocols to the Paris Climate Accords, international bureaucrats act like the only way to reduce carbon emissions is to put the entire world under global government. That's why President Trump wisely pulled America out of the Paris Climate Accord on June 1st, 2017. However, President Biden recently reversed course at his first opportunity. Biden's about face could not have come at a worse time. In a highly publicized decision, a nation's own court system ruled against it for defaulting on its commitment under the Paris Climate Accords. What nation made this violation? It's none other than France, the very nation after which the agreement is named. Four environmentalist groups successfully sued the nation of France, earning themselves damages of exactly one euro. Sadly, this news from France only underscores a much larger issue. In America, when we give our word on something to the international community, we generally follow through. Other nations are not always so noble. Often, countries like China and Russia will sign agreements for a little good PR without ever intending to keep their word. However, our two big adversaries are not the only ones who cash in on the PR. In fact, a panel of self-designated world-class climate scientists released a report saying that nearly 75% of the nations in the Paris Accord are failing to keep their commitments. While all these nations in the Accord have been failing to make any changes, the United States has been reducing carbon emissions. A release from the EPA shows that America has reduced greenhouse gas emissions by 10% nationwide, since 2005, including a drop of 27% in the energy field. 
Under the leadership of President Trump, America was able to cut regulations on a 16 to 1 ratio, become energy independent, substantially grow the economy, and still reduce emissions. That flies in the face of everything the left tells us. Americans must rethink the way we look at the environment. Globalist treaties and crushing industries are not the solution. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. As leader of the free world, America has a responsibility to stay strong in economics, industry, morality, and military capability. Never hesitating to say, America first. At phyllisschlafly.com, you'll see why the best foreign policy begins with a strong America. Join the conversation at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you. Let's finish up by describing something that happens in politics. And maybe it happens in life. I don't know. Maybe we can broaden it out. But uh, don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com. You'll see all these uh, interviews, all the great uh, interviews we're doing and segments over there. I want to finish up, though. Um, It came to my attention, and there is a story over at Politico about how the Democrats in the United States House of Representatives are moving to expel a Republican member of the House and replace the Republican with a Democrat. Now, before we get to that, let me just tell you the ground rules. You know, there's really no way when people say impeach uh, Nancy Pelosi or impeach Mitch McConnell, you can't impeach members of the House or Senate. The only way they can be removed is to be elected, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, to be uh, beaten in a re-election, to retire, to die in office, or the own their own body, meaning the House can police its own and the Senate can police its own. It's one of the reasons why, like, you know, um, New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez, who had some really pretty terrible allegations against him. I can't recall if he was ever convicted. But, you know, the, the charges against senators and House members and, and, and allegations of misconduct go before the ethics committee of each body, the House Ethics Committee, and I think it's the Senate Ethics Committee, you might have a different name. And, and the only ones that can throw them out are the actual members. So remember what I've told you. In the House of Representatives, once the Speaker is elected, she, in this case, has a lot of power. You know, the one dictator of American life is the Speaker of the House tells the House how to work. It's just that's the way it's set up. Once that vote has taken place, the Speaker is very, very powerful. Well, the Speaker has referred to one of the committees um, a review of an election in Iowa that was decided by six votes. But here's where it gets, you know, funky if you believe that uh, people should act with integrity and and not contradict themselves and be hypocritical. Um, All the Democrats who were saying, oh, no, the election of 2020, you must allow whatever the certified results are, you have to let those stand. And if no court overturns them, you can't complain about them. And don't try to use the constitutional process, Donald Trump supporters, uh, to try to change the election. Use what the votes were in the states and certified by the states. And if if the courts won't challenge it, change it, then you can't do it. Well, in Iowa, the Democrat lost by six votes. It was recounted. Democrat lost by six votes. And um, the Republican declared victory. The Democrat decided not to challenge in court, presented no evidence in court, and instead went to the political body, i.e. the um, the U.S. House, and said, you fix it for me. And Nancy Pelosi is kind of headed towards fixing it. 
meaning she's just going to, the, the body is going to quote unquote do an investigation. Then they're going to come up with a recommendation. And if they just do a party line vote, the Democrats vote for their speaker. They're going to vote for what the speaker says. They will take a Republican out of office who won by six votes and put in a Democrat. Now, this has happened in the past a couple times, a few times, actually. Uh, but the last time was in the 80s. And again, it was a Democrat doing this to a Republican. Um, but it's hypocritical, isn't it? For all these Democrats to cite the, the Trump campaign and the Trump supporters, it's hypocritical. It's hypocritical. Remember what I taught you? In politics, hypocrisy is just another, you know, day at the office. I mean, it's sad, but it's true. Um, you know, sometimes you want your uh, politicians or elected officials to change their mind, right? I mean, when people said Donald Trump was not pro-life early in his career, when he became pro-life, that's good. We want converts to the good side of things. But hypocrisy, it's pretty common. And, and in some ways, it's common in life, right? People change their minds to their own advantage. They justify it in lots of ways. But we're watching the Democrats and the narrative machine, as we've talked about, having spent months and months and months telling people, if you question the election, you're really a bad, bad kind of, you know, uh, uh, seditious type person. And now the Democrats are about to do that and take a member of Congress out, hmm, U.S. House out. Pretty crazy. All right. We got to go. Thank you, as always, to Noah, our great technical director. Thank you to Joanna for booking our guests. Thank you all for listening. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com. Find out more and listen to all these stuff. Sign up for the Daily Wink. And I'll be back tomorrow. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro America Report on The Answer San Diego.